0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Vantage Point. It's July 20th, 2022, and we have on the show, as always, Arusha Piras, O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager, joining us to help me walk through and make a a sense out of this market. Uh, Welcome back,
1: Arusha. Thank you, Justin. Always great to be here.
0: And also helping us out, Will Rind is coming back on the show. He is the founder and CEO of Granite Shares. We had a great discussion last time Will was on. It was at one of those critical moments when so many headlines were coming out. So uh, we're going to revisit a lot of those same topics that we were talking about before. So welcome to the show, Will.
2: Thank you, Justin. Good to be back on. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I can't can't wait to get into it. So one of the biggest things that we're going to be talking about today is kind of the macro drivers uh, behind this market. And you know, certainly when we had you on, it was uh, like mid-March, and we had uh, the Ukraine situation was pretty new. Inflation fears were just starting to rear their head. We had yield curve inversion, um, Fed possibly tightening, but seventy-five basis points off the table, and wow, what a difference a few months t- uh, <laughs> makes here. So, Will, maybe you could just start out with some opening comments on kind of your your overall take of what's changed in the last few months.
2: Yeah, I think that, um, you know, what's changed, and, and that's, if anything, to be honest with you, uh, because I think things were, were fairly bearish, you know, at the start of the year when markets started to tumble. But I think things have just gotten more bearish. In other words, the tightening that we've seen from the Federal Reserve, you know, has really tightened uh, financial conditions. And we've seen continued, you know, up until last Thursday, basically, <laughs> uh, continual falls in stocks um, and to lesser extent with, with the bond market. But I think that's really been the key concern here is that, you know, from where we were, things have just gotten worse. And we've got some people obviously saying, you know, we're in a recession already. Um, and that's now, I think, the big sort of topic next that people will have to move to, which is maybe not a question of if we're going to go into a recession, but when. And is that going to happen sometime this year or, or sometime next? Or like I said, there are a few people are already saying we're in a recession. So, so there we go. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and so, Will, with the, with the commodities falling, especially over the last few weeks, does that indicate that we're getting closer to a, the end of the business cycle? Because a lot of times, when you have that kind of inflation with all the money there, pushing up the commodities, and then rates start increasing, now those commodities might start falling. Uh, are you looking at it like that, or are you looking at this? Maybe the commodities are in the middle of, of maybe a big, big pullback, but could start making newer highs later in the year.
2: I think that um, you know traditionally that would be, I think, a great sort of indication when you start to see prices falling is typically really only an indication of one of two things, either supply has increased and or demand has fallen. We know that supply has not really increased. I mean, there's some, there are some commodities, you know, some of the oil stocks, you know, that there have, have been a buildup uh, in the last few weeks, but really what's driving it in my mind are yes, increased fears over recession. But I think we just have to caveat that with there is a bit of a premium, or the premium, I should say, that was in the market over Russia, Ukraine, right. um, that has started to come out of the market. Most commodities now are trading sort of where they were before Russia invaded Ukraine. I mean, there's still a couple of commodities, oil and, and that gas that are still up on that. But for the most part, that premiums come out. The second big thing is that you know, you've got China, which is obviously one of the world's largest consumers of commodities that effectively went into lockdown. Um, and that's really affected demand. And as we all know, you know, that was ultimately the thing that drove oil prices, not just to zero, but to negative for a brief moment in 2020 when right. the world essentially locked down and we had no demand or huge demand destruction, um, for oil. So that that's really my only caveat here is that I think in an, if we're talking about a normal scenario where the world was, was occup- was operating normally. Um, I think it would be a dangerous sign or certainly a sign that, you know, things are not right and that we are perhaps moving into a recession quicker than normal. I think we've just got to be a little bit cautious about saying that right now, given obviously that premium coming out as the Russia-Ukraine war sort of moves from the front pages to the back pages of the newspaper, so to speak, and China's going through this very difficult period, um, but particularly their response to it and the demand destruction that we're seeing coming out of that market.
0: And maybe you could, you know, kind of tie this into the, the strength of the dollar, because certainly that's one of those things that does have an effect. You know, there's so many variables in there. Um, so what, what's your kind of take on the strength of the dollar as it uh, pertains to the commodities and, and you know, other, other areas, the bonds, everything?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, for commodity markets, and let's just extend this to any market, uh, any country, any economy that's not dollar-based it's big, big trouble. Um, this is really bad news. And particularly, if you look at the euro, you know, the dollars now are highest against the euro for the last 22 years, you know, look at some emerging markets um, around the world, and the dollars wreaking havoc, you know, with those particular economies. And so obviously for commodities, the vast majority of commodities, they're priced in US dollars. So if you're in a foreign country, it's not on the dollar you have to buy those commodities in u.s dollars which means you have to raise you know foreign exchange reserves you have to get dollars and as we've seen particularly in the case like sri lanka if anybody's been following that story you know the country has collapsed and one of the one of the reasons for that has been lack of availability of dollars as they haven't had the ability or haven't had you know the ability to raise funds um to fund debt liabilities and access to commodities such as oil uh, gasoline etc so it's big big problems for the world you know outside of the us when you have a dollar as strong as it is in economies that are as weak as they are at the moment
1: yeah and uh well i actually have family in sri lanka so so yeah. i definitely know from a personal uh, uh personal of side where how how much there's my my family's struggling over there um do you think that's the maybe the the first kind of domino to drop and you're going to start seeing other countries starting to potentially go suffer the same fate as Sri Lanka has been going through over the last uh, few months?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And and again, this this is nothing new. This is, you know, what we tend to see in periods where there's, you know, a strong dollar uh, and weakness in emerging markets. We know uh, already today there's headlines about Pakistan um, being or having some troubles. Um, but but again, it, it's not surprising that, you know, countries just like the United States, just like European countries have taken on large amounts of debt. And, you know, that needs to be financed. A lot of that debt um, has been in dollars or is in dollars. And if you you have a lot of dollar debt um, and obviously you need to finance that you need to repay that, um, it's going to be very challenging with you know, the exchange rate differentials the way that they are.
0: Right. And so now let's maybe get a little bit into the whole inflation uh, side of things. Uh, you know, again, this is something that's just weighing on markets on, uh, you know, the economic outlook, uh, you know, and again, some people are blaming it. You know, first we were told it was going to be temporary. Right. And then it's like, oh, well, maybe maybe it's you know kind of here to stay. And then the Fed got really serious about, no, we we really need to do something and we need to act aggressively. So you've got this combination of, um, you know, high, high inflation, the highest in 40 years. Um, and then you also have the, the recession fears, uh, wages going up. It's still a tight labor market. You know, do we get like a, you know, a, a wage, a wage spiral, you know, stagflation like the 70s, all of these you know fears that people are talking about what what is it that you make of kind of this whole dynamic with um with the inflation talk
2: well i think as we've seen uh justin that you know inflation is a real big problem and it's something that you know first of all the people that the commentators the federal reserve obviously at the top of that chain that were calling for transitory um inflation this was a short-term phenomenon you know that that was proved to be epically wrong um and i think that You know, a lot of inflation people are starting to realize as it's not just that it's more enduring than being transitory, that some of it will be deeply entrenched. Um, And once you start getting, you know, this sticky inflation, particularly with wages, I mean, once you once you give someone a pay rise, you can't take it back. Right. Really, really, the only way that ends or the only way, you know, that uh, finishes is in a recession people are let go and that's how, you know, the, the job market or, you know, people's comp is sort of marked to market or reset, if you will. But yeah, w- once you start giving people pay rises, once that's baked in to, you know, social security um, to other things that are keyed off of uh, salaries or compensation, you, know, you can't take that back. And, and we're seeing that, you know, from food, from consumer goods, you know, anything that is right is proving to be more sticky. The good news for people that, you know, are kind of panicking about inflation is that there are some signs that, you know, there are areas of the market that are cooling and commodities clearly is one of those, one of those places um, where, you know, inflation or these commodity prices have cooled over the last few weeks for the reasons that we just talked about. Um, And I think there are some signs elsewhere in the economy that there might be some relief um, coming, but it just looks increasingly like that really the only cure for this, unless you're a believer that the Federal Reserve you know can really control this, is that ultimately you have to drive the economy into recession in order to bring these uh, prices down um, which is obviously the, the outcome that nobody wants but it might be it might be what's inevitable.
1: Right and, and speaking of a uh, potential recession now you have the, the yield curve inverting. By like right. quite a bit, right? Well, I mean, before it was like what four or five months ago, or a little bit longer that, where it, it inverted a little bit, but then it it kind of got out of that. I, I think but it was it, right when uh, Will was on last. Oh, at, it, in oh mid yeah, it?
2: Yeah. yeah. We talked about it on the show. Was, I remember? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So now this time it's like even more inverted, right? So I, I, that, I don't know. Is it be, is it every time we have Will on that we're going to talk yield <laughs> curve inversion? So so does does that mean that? The odds are we're likely just going to go into a recession, um, and and is it going to be or is it going to be more of a soft landing type of thing that obviously the higher ups are hoping that they they somehow pull off.
2: Yeah, I mean it, it's one indicator, and clearly it has been an indicator or a pretty good predictor in the past. Mm. Um, clearly, we don't have none of us have a crystal ball, we can't say whether you know this alone is is the surefire indicator that we are. Uh, locked in for a recession, um, but certainly it's worrying. And clearly, the reason why people look at it and why it's important is because when you have you know, a yield premium on short-term debt versus long, then it tells you that something's not right in the world. Um, that you know you should be paid a premium accordingly for holding longer-term debt, not short-term debt. Um, and so that kind of tells its own story. But I think that really, you know, we got to look at you know, the broader the broader implications of all of this and you know, it's clear that the Federal Reserve's tightening um, credit conditions. Um, that's obviously showing up in the market. That's just showing up in the stock market. I mean, uh, showing up in the real estate market. You know, with mortgage rates increasing and financial conditions tightening. And so, I think it's, it starts. It starts. You know, that process whereby we're we're slowing down. Um, and where we land, obviously, you know, who knows? It's difficult to say. But. Um, you know, I think it's it's tough to be able to engineer some kind of landing. I think that, you know, you're, you're ending up in a position which is is much more market driven.
0: Right. And, and, you know, I mean, there's so many variables that go into it, you know. And uh, again, you kind of have seen already the, the forecasting confidence that people have in the uh, Fed right now is probably pretty low. Um, and, you know, again, just getting back to the yield curve uh, again, I think we were looking at the two year and 10 year uh before but now i mean one year and 10 year inverted and yeah. you know you and i were talking yesterday and
2: it's like the six month like you know kind of inverted. oh yeah it's, it's just it's right at the beginning of the curve as well and, and i think you know in the fed you know, it's, it's hard because you don't want to criticize them too much it's a hard job um, but you know for many years remember the mandate was to to stimulate inflation um and that was to get inflation to around two percent or slightly right. higher and, you know, they, they weren't able to do that. That was to engineer some inflation in the economy. And so I guess the odds on now them they've been able to to do the reverse um, are sort of stacked against them. But, you know, clearly they're going to give it give it a try.
0: Right. Okay, well, when we come back, you know, that kind of gives us a good sense of what's been going on. When we come back, Will's going to talk to us a little bit about what we do now. Uh, and we're going to talk about, you know, whether it's a hedging time, uh, income investing, um, what what's the... What's the path going forward here? So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey trader, listen up. The markets have changed. Have you changed your strategies? Vantage point can help you conquer volatility. Learn to trade with AI. Visit www.freestockcoaching.com and discover how to predict market trends one to three days in advance with up to 87.4% proven accuracy. No matter which way the market moves, vantage points patented ai can give you a massive edge visit www.freestockcoaching.com to get what you need to find your best entries and exits that's www.freestockcoaching.com trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors past results do not guarantee future performance Okay, welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast, sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Justin Nielsen here, along with Arusha Pires, who joins me every week. And our special guest this week is Will Rind, founder and CEO of Granite Shares. So uh Will, we were talking a little bit about a lot of the macro drivers. And uh, I mean I think I think we pretty much hit everything, you know, between inflation, the Fed, the you know, the geopolitical issue with Ukraine, yield curve, everything like that. So I guess the question is, um, how do you how do you see us kind of coming out of this? you know what what should investors be doing to kind of position themselves? A lot of times it seems like any any bet that you make and the market kind of turns, you know as, as soon as you get comfortable with it. Um, what what is it that you're seeing and what is it that you're kind of uh, projecting out there for people?
2: Well, I mean clearly it's been a very, very bad you know first half of the year um, and we've seen, you know, for example, a 60-40 portfolio, assuming, you know, 60% yeah. U.S. stocks and 60% U.S. bonds have one of the worst, you know, start to a year on record. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what does that mean? It means that, you know, people who perhaps have gotten used to um, nothing but positive returns, you know, now are sitting on a position where they're losing money. You know, financial advisors um, have their clients calling, um, shouting at them because they're, they're down on the year. And I think what all of this means is that we're going to see a lot of money in motion in the second half of the year, because that's people are going to take an opportunity to tax loss, harvest, you know, some of those losses in the portfolio. And hopefully people still have gains if they've been in the market for a number of years elsewhere. But I think people are looking to, to do that. Um, and then we'll see some, some movement in terms of people looking, do I, do I stick with this and sort of ride it out or do I make some changes here? Um, and, you know, sell out of maybe bonds or, or equities, but kind of reposition the portfolio. And so I think from that perspective, we're going to see a lot of money in motion um, the second half of the year. People try and navigate their way uh, through this.
1: And, and where does that kind of, where generally does that kind of motion lead towards? If, if, if you have a lot of market participants lose a bunch of money, are they going to try to put it in more aggressive kind of ideas or more kind of conservative <laughs> points at this time?
2: I, I think I think so far, you know, what we've seen is clearly a trend towards the more conservative. In other words, yeah. um, you know, what's the lesson we've learned so far? The lesson is, if you hadn't had commodities in your portfolio over the first half of the year, you've almost certainly lost money. You know, mm-hmm. That was really the only money-making trade of the first half of the year. And I think in inflationary environment, um, The lesson here is that people have to look to things like commodities that not only have the potential to perform well in an inflationary environment, but give you a different return stream to traditional equities and bonds. The other thing clearly we've seen is people shy away, I think, from from those speculative areas of the market, from those risky um, and more speculative areas of cryptocurrencies, the profitless tech stocks, um, the things that were obviously probably the most popular over the last sort of couple right. of years. And I think you know, that the, there's been a renewed focus in you know, things like cash, you know, defensive um, positions, dividends, or, or yield producing investments, um, and, and things you probably would expect you know, in more you know, difficult times that people are, are becoming a bit more conservative. Um, and I think that's only natural given what we've seen you know, first time, first half of the year. So perhaps it's, you know, the return of capital uh, taking precedence over the return on capital um, as we move into the next, the second half of the year. And I think, you know, one thing that I, I am watching and one thing I've, I am concerned about and have been concerned about for a while is that um, the earnings that obviously the stock market at the end of the day um, really lives and dies on the earnings. And, you know, the first, first two quarters were actually pretty good um, in terms of earnings. The, the, the earnings that we're seeing now um, clearly is a bit of a mixed bag, um, but already starting off to be okay. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why you see this rip higher in the market, you know, certainly since Thursday uh, of last week. And, and really, I think my thought there is that if we start to get a crack from some of these mega companies that make up, you know, as far as the indices concerned, such a big part of the market, you know, your apples, Microsoft, etc. Um, if those companies miss, uh, and we haven't seen that yet, um, I think that that is bad news for the market and could be this sort of the next capitalist to bring things down. So far, things seem to be holding up and that's why the markets taking that you know, very positive. Um, but I think as we go later into the year, we still have a high inflationary environment, we still have a strong dollar, you know, which impacts you know, foreign earnings of some of these mega tech companies. Um, and we have you know, this, uh, you know, continuing tightening of financial conditions you know, that could show up in, in the earnings and be and be a big catalyst for another leg down. But we'll see. So far, you know, so far, companies have been pretty resilient.
0: Yeah, there's certainly that, you know, the, the multinationals often, I don't know, it almost seems like a little bit of an excuse, like, oh, but it's not our fault, the strength of the dollar, well, there's nothing we could have done, you know, no way we could have uh, uh, imagined that. But I want to kind of get back into a little bit, one of the commodities that we we didn't really touch on too much is gold. And, you know, with this high inflationary in, environment, um, you know, gold is kind of the traditional, the, the, the store of value, your inflation, you know, your inflation hedge, but, uh it certainly hasn't seemed to be that way um uh, more recently. So uh and then maybe we could uh, uh show a chart. Uh what 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 chart are you showing here now? A uh, uh, GLD. Okay, so GLD. So, you know, for those that are, you know, looking at the the, the podcast, the video version, and you can find that at investors.com slash podcast. Um I know that Granite Shares has um has a Granite Shares Gold Trust, which is uh bar, tickerson will be A R. Right, yeah. But um you know, what's 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 happening with gold? Why? Why did it kind of fail as as that
2: inflation hedge? Well, well, or um, hasn't... <laughs> probably another podcast on this. Another hour. Okay. <laughs> them. In, in short, look, I think gold has not done badly. Um, gold's down 10% year to date. So it's outperforming stocks. And again, you have to couch this in the context of the strongest dollar market that we've had for a long, long time. And again, if you're measuring it in terms of some other foreign currencies, the strongest dollar we've ever seen. So remember, the gold price—we're talking about the U.S. dollar gold price as being down 10%. We're not talking about the gold price measured in other currencies, where, you know, depending on what currency you're looking at, gold is already at a high. Indeed, some cases, an all-time high. Um, but the dollar price of gold—that's this—is a challenging environment because you have super strength. Um, in the dollar, and that's driven off the back of rising interest rates, um, which is kind of the cocktail that gold least favors. But I think, given given that you know that the fact that gold has hung in here, and is certainly down less than than other assets um, in the market, shows that it's it's resilient, and that this is a time when you know people are still looking for for that alternative that store of value. I think really the question for anybody you know, from now on is, is, you know, what seems elevated right now, gold at, you know, 1690, um, or certainly, you know, a few hundred dollars off its all time high, or the US dollar. And certainly in the context of, of that, you would, you would think, and again, it's not a crystal ball or anything, but you think that, you know, the dollar probably has more room to come down um, versus gold at this stage. Um, and indeed, you know, once I think the Fed gets to a point whereby the market is more comfortable with the direction of travel regarding interest rates, um, that I think that's probably the catalyst that starts to at least stabilize the dollar, if not, if not cause the dollar to fall, you know, relatively quickly. Um, but clearly, we're not there yet. And that's, that's what a lot of the, the concern is and a lot of the, you know, the, the interest in the dollar right now.
1: Yeah. And, and that's so tough. And you're, and you're talking about relative, uh, you know, g- gold f- falling relatively, you know, not not doing that bad versus a lot of other things. Uh, I mean, that that's always so hard, unfortunately. Well, I mean, it's understandable if you have to have all if if you always have to be invested in the market. Uh, so then then it's kind of, yeah, OK, um, um my, my portfolio is down 20 percent versus other things that are down 25 percent. But it's. Uh, on an absolute level, or kind of an emotional level, that that's always hard, especially for some investors. If you have that chance to to go to cash, you know what? what are your thoughts about that? Like, so for instance, like a gold kind of having a gold all- allocation, is it a you know five percent type of allocation of portfolio higher than that? Do you raise it in kind of uh, uncertain times? I mean, how how do you look at you know adding like maybe a bar to your por- uh, someone's portfolio?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, the the way that we've always looked
1: at it is the the first and the easiest thing to say
2: is you have to have enough for it to be relevant in the portfolio. And what we mean by that is people talk about abstract percentages and you say, okay, I have 1% or I have 5% or 7%. And and I think the point is if you hold 1% of anything, the chances are it's not going to have any impact on your portfolio. So regardless of what happens in the market, it's just not statistically significant to impact your portfolio. That kind of leads you to automatically having a higher allocation. You know, we've always sort of felt like five to seven percent um, was a was a reasonable number for that. But clearly, that can flex depending on you know your particular situation or how the portfolio is designed. You know, who who the client is and their level of risk tolerance. Um, and indeed, you get plenty of portfolios where the, the allocation to gold and commodities would be materially higher than that. Um, but I think in this environment um you know if anybody's you know people are cautiously positioned you know gold is something that you know historically has held value um in volatile times and you know right now like i said no one likes to lose money of course they don't um but you know from a a relative perspective given the challenges or the headwinds uh, against gold you know i think it's hung in there well i mean certainly from a supply-demand perspective you know the fundamentals are good um, you know the supply of gold is relatively constant. We've had central banks buying, um, which is a good sign. Investors are still buying you know, the holdings, as measured by the you know the the ETFs are not as high as they were clearly when gold peaked in 2020, but they're still pretty elevated, um, which means there's good support at this level. Um, and you know clearly if we're going into to a recession, um, and indeed hard economic times, and particularly you know with credit tightening starts to perhaps you know, maybe give some, uh, have some worries about uh, credit itself and your default levels. It all sounds uh, a little bit similar to what we had back in 2008. And it's a time when your gold performed well, because once people get nervous about the market, once people get nervous about um, credit or counterparty risk, um, then clearly gold above anything else, you know, is an asset of the highest quality that does not have any credit or counterparty risk um so it's something that like cash uh that people have historically flocked to you know in times of crisis
1: Mm -hmm.
0: now maybe you could talk a little bit because you've you've mentioned you know okay there's there's the hedging um aspect of things and when when people are looking for really places to hide uh and and not get hurt as bad um another area is those dividend producers that you mentioned and you know i mean whether it's Uh, The utilities or a lot of the REITs um, have been doing well, especially like, you know, you've got your apartment buildings and the rents are going up, Um, you know, where does that fit in with everything? I mean, you certainly would think of, you know, again, apartment buildings as being something that's, you know, good to have because the rents are going up and that's that's going to be kind of correlating uh, with inflation and, and kind of doing well during that. Um, but on the other side, you've got commercial real estate that, uh, was, was getting a little iffy at some point as, you know, people were wondering about the whole, you know, return, return to work. Um, so what, what, what do you do in terms of that kind of income producing side of, uh, side of things, dividend
2: yields? Yeah. I mean, dividends, I mean, clearly, they are valuable at this particular time because anything that generates cash and cash flow uh, and these kind of times is prioritized over, you know, perhaps the traditional growth investments um, that people have favored the last couple of years, which typically don't generate any cash because a lot of those companies you know, are not even profitable, um, mm-hmm. let alone to, to generate a dividend. But if you look at uh, inflation just more broadly as a construct, and you think about what tends to do well in inflationary environments, you come down to hard assets or real assets and you know in the real asset bucket you have commodities you have gold which you've already talked about but you also have real estate um, and you have you know assets that are real physical things that pay a dividend or pay a distribution Um, and and that is something i mean utilities clearly are also another area of the market, which are much more defensive over the past couple of years. I'm sure people didn't really pay much attention to, um, but that people are looking at those more seriously now. And then again, there's just the general um, you know, market environment where stocks are down. And so dividend paying stocks um, that you know people are looking to transition to now, you know, you're buying a dividend stock, uh, perhaps much cheaper than you were at the beginning of the year. And so by definition, the yield might be higher right. you know, on those stocks. And they might be, you know, attractive enough for people to pick them up um at these levels. And you know, clearly there are energy based stocks that pay good dividends, um, and, and so there are stocks that are operating or enclosed in these hard asset or real asset you know, sectors of the market that not only provide you with some income, but might also um might also have the potential to do well or at least relatively well in this environment.
1: And, and so now with uh, going back to kind of the real estate comments, uh, with the rates rising, the mortgage rates going up, does that affect REITs a lot or do they already own those properties and so they're they're just still collecting the the rent payments and, hey, maybe more people will start to rent versus own?
2: It, it sort of depends. So again, broadly speaking, if you split the REIT category into two, um, you get... Equity REITs, on one hand, which are just any REIT that owns physical property, that could be that could be single housing, single family housing, that could be uh, commercial real estate, that could be malls, but you know physical property. Now, on the other hand, you have mortgage REITs. Um, so those are REITs that own the mortgages. Right. Because in the rising interest rate environment, mortgages are going to do worse because you know rates are rising, and typically you know mortgages are set at a certain rate. Now, over time, you know those rates will adjust. Um, and those investments, you'll be able to move up. But if you're in a recession, you have concern about delinquency, concern about defaults, et cetera. But it's really the equity REITs that, that tend to do well, or perform well, in inflationary environment because that's the physical property itself. Okay. Now, obviously, if you get into a get into a condition where you know, you're into recession, um, then clearly that can impact anything because you know, demand for housing, et cetera, comes down. So it's not, it's not immune from that um, by any means it's just um in a in a in a sort of inflationary environment uh, typically those hard assets or real assets are the things that, that tend to do well
0: mm-hmm. well and this kind of gets back to our whole thing about you know the a relative winner can still be an absolute loser uh you know in, in terms of the relative versus absolute yeah, terms absolutely. so um you know and and again with some of these some of these income producing plays, as you mentioned, you know, they, they have gotten hit, they have come down. And so for people that were holding this and kind of saying, oh, well, I'm getting my, you know, a healthy 5% dividend, which is much, you know, much higher than what the S&P 500 is giving me. Um, You know, if you're down 15%, uh, you know, what does that 5% dividend matter? Really? Uh, You're, you're, you're still down in absolute terms, maybe down less. It's uh, as you said, you know, it's all relative. Um, But, you know, I guess a lot of people are looking at cash as not being great to hold on to in an inflationary environment. But if it's going down less than anything else, is that a relative winner?
2: <laughs> well it is. I think so, you know, some famous hedge fund manager, you know, very recently said said cash is trash. Um mm-hmm. and I think that was um you know, in the context of you know, high inflation or rising inflation, right. but in a in a stable um to, an economy that was growing. And I think that sort of was relevant maybe for for that particular time. But like you said, now um, where you have the stock market or assets falling faster or falling more than the rate of inflation, cash doesn't look too bad um, in terms of, you know, yes, okay, you're eroding, um, your cash value has been eroded in real terms by the inflation rate. But if you put that into stocks and they've fallen twice as fast, then you you, you probably still be much better staying off in cash, staying in cash. So I think a lot of people are now going back to my point, uh, starting to value statements like that in, in terms of thinking, well, actually, is it really, is it really the right thing to be doing to be in the market, um, sort of a bubble else? And is it time to, to put some money into cash or indeed, if you're in cash you're to keep money in cash, um, in case there's another leg down in the market. So I think, I think that's sort of where, where a lot of people are right now. And to your point about the the dividends, I mean, we have a fund um, HIPS, as the ticker code, uh, H-I-P-S, which is a high dividend um, paying a high distribution uh, ETF. And right now, you know, that pays um, just over 10% per annum. Now, obviously that 10% is a function of the fact that it's a fixed dollar distribution um, against the share price, which has fallen this year because the market's fallen. So it's fallen, you know, in line with um, the, the the broader market, and de- depending on what period you look at, um, so assets are down, or the portfolio, the value of the portfolio is down, but you know you're getting a a very strong uh, distribution for that. So I think for people that value and prioritize income right now and prioritize cash flow, it's something that can be valuable uh, to people in a portfolio where it pays a consistent distribution every month. Um, but like you said, there's no free lunch uh, in this world, and you know, for people that can, that can you know, buy investment like that when the market's down, you, you profit from that high level of income. But the flip side is also that the reason why it's high is because the underlying portfolio has fallen and it's fallen because the market's fallen.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Now, from, from a kind of a larger perspective, and, and obviously there's this another kind of big, large generalization here. But what, what do you think the market needs to see to slowly turn this around to get out of this bear market?
2: That's a great question. I I mean, I think that really everything is driven. I mean, I I shouldn't say everything. I'd say almost everything um, is driven by the Federal Reserve at the moment. I think we had this mantra for the last decade or certainly since the the global financial crisis, which was don't fight the Fed. And what don't fight the Fed meant was that in an environment where the central bank was easing, broadly speaking, um, that you were to buy equities or buy assets and buy the dip you know, now it's the reverse of that central bank is very clearly tightening, raising interest rate, financial conditions are tightening. And so in this context, don't fight the Fed might mean don't buy the debts. Um, and indeed, or be be certainly be cautious about doing it. Um, until I think the market gets some kind of clarity or is confident enough in the direction of travel. Now, it might come as a shock to, to people listening to this show. Um, but already the market is pricing in the first rate cut for Q1 next year, which might sound absurd wow, to some great. people yeah. listening. Um, and in many ways, it is absurd. But you know what? What that is signalling is that interest rates can only go up so far, and at that point, or close to that point, you know the market will, will the economy will start to tip into recession, or already be in a recession, of which the reaction to that will the the Federal Reserve have to reverse course and start cutting rates. Um, So so that's kind of, I think, in a nutshell, um, you know, where we are, and everything is going to be keyed off of the central bank policy. Now, obviously, you know, clearly, we could have a nasty surprise coming out of of Russia, Ukraine, an escalation, we could have, you know, any kind, any number of, I suppose, geopolitical events that are somewhat unforeseen, um, which could make things significantly worse. But I think leaving aside that, just talking purely about markets, you know, stocks have already taken a pummeling for the most part, you know, since the beginning of the year, so portfolios are down, valuations have have reset um, a lot, you know, considering where they were at the end of last year. I'm not not ready to say that things are fairly valued um, or or things are certainly not willing to say things are cheap um, in this market, but I think it's really all about what happens to interest rate policy? And do we have clarity on where that's going? I think in the next six months at some point, we'll get a better idea for that.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, maybe we have you back on then and we can kind of see how things pan out. Uh, But Will, uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. And uh, again, you're the founder and CEO of Granite Shares. Where can people find out more information about uh, some of your offerings? Uh, Do you tell people to go to website or Twitter? What's the best yeah
2: the best way is always just to go to the website um because we're an asset manager you know all the products and things are are displayed just on our website that's the the primary place people can go and check it out so it's graniteshares.com just as the name sounds granite like the rock shares.com um and you know people can have a look at what we do and obviously if you've got any questions etc please contact us directly
0: wonderful thanks again for coming back on the show will we really appreciate it
2: anytime thanks justin great to talk to you thanks arusha good to see you again
0: definitely okay and when we come back arush and i are going to take a look at some of the technical action going on in the markets and see if we can find any stocks that look like they're setting up in this rougher environment but strong rally lately stay tuned we'll be right back hey trader listen up the markets have changed have you changed your strategies vantage point can help you conquer volatility learn to trade with ai Visit www.freestockcoaching.com and discover how to predict market trends one to three days in advance with up to 87.4% proven accuracy. No matter which way the market moves, Vantage Point's patented AI can give you a massive edge. Visit www.freestockcoaching.com to get what you need to find your best entries and exits. That's www.freestockcoaching.com. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Justin Nielsen here along with Arusha Pierce. We just had a great conversation with Will Ryan, but now we're going to kind of give you the IBD take uh, on the markets. We kind of looked at the macro factors, uh, the macro drivers, and and now let's kind of see where we're at in terms of the market action. So uh, we did leave the market action in uptrend under pressure and i'll tell you a couple of the reasons why this was this was kind of a debate that we were having at the end of the day um but if you go ahead and pull up the nasdaq composite and again for those of you watching the video that's at investors.com podcast um and if you look at the nasdaq composite one of the things that still concerns us as strong as this rally is and we got basically if you know it looks like volume came in heavier today so that means it's a subsequent follow-through day. Yesterday was a subsequent follow-through day. So you got back above the 50-day moving average line. You got um, the moving average line starting to uh, stack properly. It looks like the 10-day is trying to get above the 21-day. The 21-day is trying to get above the 50-day. So you've got a lot of things that are kind of going for uh, going for the market right now. But you also have kind of a lack of a lot of individual stocks looking strong and you still have, while we got over this recent resistance at around 11,650 or so uh, from, you know, that we kind of hit our head on a couple times times uh, lately, you have, you know, right there 12,300, um, even 12,000, a lot of congestion around there. And then it just seems like the places where we could hit our head continue. And you could also be looking at channel lines, you know, in a downtrend here. So. Uh, it seems like we're getting kind of up to the upper end of what has been this downtrend. So we could get turned away at this, you know, channel line, too. So there's still reasons to be cautious. But, um, you know, that's a lot. What's your take, Arusha?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think you captured it pretty well there, Justin. It, uh, we, we got past some short-term resistance. That 12,300 area on the NASDAQ, that's going to be kind of the key Part it is interesting with the moving averages starting to slowly get over some of the longer term, uh, that could indicate that maybe you we start to bottom out here. Maybe you start to put in some kind of uh, we we t- we were talking about bottom bottoming bases last week, right? Right. Maybe yeah. you kind of put in a, a bottom range in, in the markets here if it can hold. Uh, it, it these are always the hardest times for Can Slim O'Neill type of investors. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there, you have a lot of stocks that aren't necessarily breaking out of bases. Uh, they're, they're all the stocks that have gotten beaten down. They're reverting back to the mean. They're the ones coming up. And a lot of the stocks that, or the few stocks that are foreign bases, they're not doing much or they're kind of crawling up on lower volumes. So you're kind of in this, if you're using our strategy, you're, you're kind of in this no man's land where you still want to, for the most part, be patient. Uh, And kind of let the market continue to provide an environment for stocks to build more and more bases. Right. Yeah. And I mean, look, I was I was looking
0: at uh, a quick sort of the Nasdaq 100 earlier in the day. So I'm, I'm not sure how these these ended, but I'll tell you just in my quick sort looking at what was up the most. I, it, it felt like it was 2020 again. I mean, you had Datadog, Atlassian, uh, you know, so DDOG, uh, yeah. TEAM, um, Zoom video was was up there, DocuSign. I, I mean, it was just all all the old uh, all the old hits uh, coming back. And I mean, heck, you know, to that end, I mean, look at Arc, you know, the Arc fund, A- ARKK. Uh, that was up 5% and, you know, coming up off of its bottom. So uh, it, it really did feel like a lot of this, you know, kind of bottom fishing. And that reminds me a little bit of how I kind of messed up 2009 to a certain degree. It was, um, it felt like in 2009 that I just couldn't find anything. Uh, you know, it was looking at things like th- some of the biggest moves were coming from Ford, Bank of America, Citigroup. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that had dropped into, like, a dollar, you know, after, right. you know, they, I mean, they, they were in danger of getting delisted from the New York stock exchange because the stock was so cheap and you were having reverse splits just to keep them on the exchange. Um, but those were the ones, as you said, that were mean reverting and uh, doing, doing very well. So I guess, you know, it comes down to what, what, what's an investor to do? What's a, what's a cancelum investor to do in this environment, Arusha?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think the, the m- main thing is to be patient. Right, You you have to wait for your setups. And now there are some setups out there that are slowly working. And so you could try a few uh, of those. And we had that follow through day, what, a month ago. We're still under mm-hmm. pressure. Uh, and so you could uh, you still could, if some of those positions haven't stopped you out, you still have some of those that have been making progress. You could look to add another one. Uh, and it's really that incremental process. I think the, the big thing is not to lean too strongly one way or the other. You don't want to be too bearish. I mean, right. it's, it's been pretty tough for a long time, but there is going to come a time where the markets are going to turn and you're not going to be ready for it. Right. You're just going to say, Oh, it's just a bear bear market rally. It's going to probably hit new lows in, in the near future. And it's not right. And mm-hmm. so you want always, so I kind of had that doubt or kind of keep that open mindset, wait a minute, the markets have had a chance over the last few weeks, To make lower lows especially when that CPI number came out and you know it it seemed like okay here we go we're probably gonna start testing the 10,500 area because that number was you know always pretty bad and fear Mm -hmm. inducing right so but it the markets always love to do the opposite and so kind of got everyone out uh, who wanted to get out and it started finding a little bit of a floor here and so it's not necessarily surprised that it's got finally gotten back above the 50-day. We'll have to see. It wouldn't be a surprise for it to test that 12,300 area. Uh, and there is going to come a time. Justin, you spoke about this a few weeks ago when we looked at a number of bear market uh, rallies. Some of these rallies can be like 40 yeah, percent, right? That's percent, September, right? 2001. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. so I don't know how high the, how far away the. That 200-day moving average is. Let me switch over to the queues here, and and take a look to see if we have. So the on the queues, that's that's only 12% away. That looks like a really long uh, uh, place away, right? That's only 12%. So if if we kind of continue this momentum and everyone's kind of getting leaning too far to the bearish side, you could have a rally potentially up to that 200 day because no one believes that the market can rally right so so you just have to keep an open mind i think the biggest thing is move slowly incrementally in if you see some stocks that are looking interesting to you but be disciplined and uh feel free to have plenty of cash though until the market truly proves itself yeah i mean again if we're going to go up you know to the
0: 200 day moving average line there's still there's still time to, to get in. You don't have to feel like you have to panic and, and certainly you avoid buying extended stocks. Um, you know, it just seems like that's been a place of, uh, potential danger you know i I mean even a lot of breakout failures have been happening so uh, you know i thought it was cute when you said you know oh if you bought stuff on the follow-through day and you didn't get shaken out (laughs) like what 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 are you talking about (laughs) what what are you holding that you didn't get shaken out because it it seems like i've been going you know more and more short term just to just to not get shaken out you know taking profits into strength where i can And of course what's going to happen eventually is i'm going to be taking those profits into strength and thinking i'm all smart and uh, things are going to continue going, and I'm going to be like, oh, now, now nothing's set up. So there's always that you know kind of kind of balancing act that you have to
1: have to figure out. So uh, yeah, let's... I have I have a, two very tiny pilot positions in, and they haven't stopped me out yet. So that's just kind of giving me the feel for the market. And just very quickly, yeah. just just underneath the surface, so the growth to fifty this past weekend and has 171 stocks, yeah. which is still pretty low. We'll have yeah. to wait to see what it does. Uh, the new number on Friday night. Uh, and there are probably like 20 stocks within the Growth 250 now that are, that are setting up. So mm-hmm. a little bit more in, uh, of a larger number in the near pivot than we've had in a, in a while. So that might be changing a little bit. But where we're going to get a lot more confident is once you start seeing a lot of bases setting up underneath the surface, mm-hmm. and then you start seeing the market really starting to work that's where we'll all have much more confidence because there'll be a lot more opportunities to get more exposure in the market. Right now, you only have a little bit of opportunity. Right.
0: You know, I just want to add two things. Um, Number one, you know, I think it's critical what you just said there. You know, the things that you haven't gotten shaken out of were your smaller pilot positions. You know, it's this market has certainly been one where some of those pilot positions have been the way to go so that you can hold on to them because, um, you know, there's just been You know, with some of these stocks, a lot more volatility and you have to kind of almost give your stocks a little bit of room. But if you're going to protect your portfolio, that means you've got to you've got to do a smaller position. Um, So, I mean, there's there's that element. And then um, when you were talking about more setups on the near pivot, uh, one of the things that is still striking about that is you know there's a lot of these you know tight areas and and you look at it and there's a cash offer there you know so oh, yes. make sure if you see if you see some really tight action that you look for that co on the chart because that means that it's it's basically you know had an offer out there and that's why the tight action is kind of gravitating towards that price so just be careful of that so yeah let's go ahead and get into some stocks um and uh maybe we can start out with a one of the areas that i feel like continues to have a lot of setups is the biotech um healthcare medical we keep on seeing these names uh, these groups getting up in the in the ranks so you have incy which is insight corporation uh, this is a biomed biotech stock number 16 out of 197 for the biomed biotech group and this is a big group 800 yeah. names basically in this group um and here we have uh cup with handle blue dot relative strength rating of 93 uh there's there's kind of a lot that is your traditional uh traditionally in place now some of the fundamentals aren't quite there um so what's what's your take on this one arusha
1: well um the first thing after ken tree's excellent uh episode last week is hey this could be a bottoming base right this is this uh sold off over 2020 and 2021 so corrected quite a bit it's it's been making higher lows over the last few months and so there's a divergence versus the market while the market was making new lows uh this one was has been fighting it for a while which is why you see that relative strength line kind of shoot up right there uh so at least now for the first time in over a year it's setting up a base pattern recognition is picking up a, a base that we recognize so that is a positive right there uh, mm-hmm. now the a lot of times so i i think from just in a vacuum for insight if, if you're looking at just the price and volume action that's positive that it's actually slowed down enough to for us to recognize a pattern on the fundamental side it's a little it's a little disappointing uh that it's uh the, that doesn't have a lot of earnings. And so if you're looking more from kind of a broader perspective, is this really the best biotech stock to get in? Probably not. I'm I'm just, I'm guessing here it's probably not. Now, one thing about what you said about that number 16 for the biotech 800 stocks, a lot of money has to go into this area to move it up our list that much. Mm -hmm. So that is really impressive to me. That seems, it seems to me that Wall Street's starting to put a lot more bets in this area, and so you really ideally want to focus on some of the stocks that probably have better metrics than an insight. So, so that's kind of the initial thing. I mean, what are your takes, Justin?
0: Yeah, uh, and I mean this kind of likens back to our discussion not too long ago with Nina Decca from Robo Global. You know, all of that discussion that she had on the healthcare sector. You know, things that are going for it. Um, you know, long term why more money may be moving there in terms of you know all all different areas um so uh, i i think that's interesting but with individual stocks i think you always have to take a look at you know what what does their pipeline look like and i think that's where a lot of times i might shy away from an insight because i i kind of get afraid that oh if, if one, one trial goes wrong or one right. FDA approval doesn't, you know, pan out, uh, does it have enough of a pipeline to absorb that? Uh, does it have enough revenue from different, different sources that, you know, one, one failure, uh, is, isn't going to knock it out. And I mean, you know, remember that a lot of these biomed biotech stocks are plunging money back into their research and, and, and development. So for insight, uh, you know, 48.8% is their R and D number. Uh, so, yes. and, and that's, you know incredibly high but a lot of times what the biomed biotech area does so um let's go ahead and move on uh another area that seems like it's been kind of getting a little bit of uh traction is uh some of the retail surprisingly i did see some of the apparel uh, names looking interesting and one of the stocks that we talked about with ken last week was ollie uh bargain outlet um, you know so in particular the discount variety look at that number four out of 197 groups uh, for for that group uh, again a lot of members in here that are setting up looking interesting right now you know on the face of it this stock just looks extended but on the daily chart what kind of interested me is that uh, you know we're, we're getting a pullback here and so i just wonder if if this can continue pulling back does this give you another opportunity um you know the 21 day moving average line is is not too far away but uh we could get a bounce there or even let that 50-day moving average line catch up a little bit as the the stock comes down? Does that potentially give another opportunity on this one?
1: Yeah, I, I think eventually this is going to set up, and it's really up to each individual whether they want to try off the 21-day or the 50-day, right? So a, lot, a lot of times, the stronger stocks in a market, they'll hold that 21-day a little bit longer, and so it will give you a chance... Uh, quite a bit earlier if you're waiting for a pullback to 21-day versus the 50-day. So 4% away from uh, touching the 21-day. So that's just something to keep in mind. It is really extended right here. But uh, like we ta- spoke about with Ken last week, I mean, showing a lot of strength here. Uh, and, and it continues to show a lot of strength. And they may be turning the corner. Obviously, I always think about all these bargain outlet uh, way back when, when they came out public. And right. uh, I think I, I bought it at the exact same time as David Ryan, but I think I took my 20% profit and David <laughs> held it like for a year and a half and had like a hundred percent profit yeah. or something like that. <laughs> a few right? hundred percent. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh... so it, it was pretty cool to, to see him do that. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, a, it's a really interesting concept. We actually went together to an Ollie's Bargain out like a few years ago when you're out in Myrtle Beach for an event. Uh, and so we oh, walked around uh-huh. and looked at the store. It is a treasure hunt. So yeah, uh, I, it was kind of mind-boggling how how much of a treasure hunt it was. But there's a lot of great bargains in this. So they if they're if they're fundamentally turning it around, and it seems like the market you, we're not necessarily seeing it on the numbers just yet. Right. But it seems like the market's kind of betting on it, mm. and so it is acting well. I think it's worth keeping an eye on the uh, on the watch list on this one. The retail discount variety store is number four i don't know if that's a great thing for the market or says great things right. about the market <laughs> recession fears exactly but <laughs> you're you're right yeah there are a number of stocks within this group that are acting well and so they are all worth keeping an eye on they might not necessarily go up a tremendous amount but especially if you're looking we were talking about relative uh, in the previous segments if you're looking for some relative outperformance a number of these stocks have that potential Uh, to outperform relatively if we can, if the economy continues to get worse.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that for as bad as those growth numbers look right now, I mean, you just are seeing a lot of red. um, You look, you look at the 2024 estimates and, you know, holy cow, you know, they're they're big turnaround there. And again, uh, I guess the assumption is that they're going to be getting more and more uh, of this, you know, merchandise, you know, that they're going to be buying for pennies on the dollar and that's that's where they do well I, I mean it's the old the old pick and save model from the 70s that bill made so much money on so uh let's go ahead and wrap this up with uh cal main foods the ticker symbol on this is c-a-l-m uh, again we've been seeing still uh that a lot of the setups you know kind of in your more traditional uh traditional type of base pattern you know that's up above its 50-day moving average line it's up above its 200 day the the moving average lines are already stacked in in a favorable way a lot of those names are coming from the more defensive areas and so certainly food meat products um in this case calmaine foods is is about you know all about the eggs the shell eggs that they're distributing so um you know you've got the the formation of a cup here and
1: you know what's 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 your take on the technical action arisha well, I think the tech action looks pretty healthy. It, it wouldn't be a surprise to see it maybe pull back a little bit. It's had a great run over the last three or four weeks. Uh, when you look at the volume, some good accumulation coming in there, there's a lot of blue bars there. So, yeah. so, and some heavy blue bars there too. They got through earnings and it looks like they reported pretty well up uh, nine, 999%. I mean, that's the maximum on Marcus, <laughs> but it's probably in four digits there, right? So, so Well, and numbers... it, was, it was calculating it off of a negative too. So, oh, okay, right. fair enough, yeah. yes. Yeah, so, so, uh, so you
0: can see those uh, triangles there um you know that that's that's telling you that there were you know some some non-recurring items um and then the number sign the hashtag i guess is what they call it now right (laughs) Um, that 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 tells you that it was being calculated off of of negative and you know maybe just for people watching the video you can just kind of go to that left hand corner where the chart legend um, so if you're ever wondering what some of these things are on the marketsmith chart you can always click on that chart legend and it'll bring up uh, something where you can just hover over things and find out oh, what, what, what is, you know, what do these numbers mean? What do these symbols mean? And, and so on. But yeah, go ahead. And, and uh,
1: again, it's, it's hard to deny that, you know, 999 is pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, strong, strong prior uptrend before building a, a decent cup here. Uh, another another kind of uh, reason why to be a little bit more concerned about the market. If you have a food stock looking like a tech stock. Right from 2020. <laughs> uh, so so this is, I, I, yeah, when you pull this up now, because I've i been hearing about it, but I haven't really taken a look at the chart, it does. Uh, I mean, it, it looks pretty strong. Uh, it, it's doing everything right right now. The only thing is that it's kind of in the middle of no man's land right now, where it's halfway mm-hmm. through the base, it could easily pull back, uh, or it could keep going up, but it's hard to kind of. Define your risk, or really come up with some kind of uh, manageable trade at this point. So this is more a watchless stock.
0: Well, and it goes back to your point that uh, it seems like there's a lot of patience required right now. Um, you have some of these stocks that are kind of on the more traditional side. Um, if they can, if they can move higher, and you know maybe this market is is showing more bottoming signs then you know maybe it is finally that turn more into the growth. Um, but on the other hand, if you're seeing it continue to be on the more defensive side, you know, that that's telling you something too, if it's favoring recessionary environment with your ollies and your, your auto zones and things like that, um, you know, then, then that's, that's telling you something too. And, uh, you just have to, I guess, adjust accordingly, but a lot
1: of this could be a little bit of wait and see and, and still sit on your hands to a certain degree. Right. A lot, a lot of times it's, it's the, the ones who are patient enough to, and disciplined enough to wait for the fat pitch they're, they're yeah. the ones who are going to really kind of capitalize on the next bull market. If you're just constantly swinging and trying uh, at any stock that's on a technical basis, breaking out uh, in a tough market, you're, the odds are you're going to get whipped around a lot. And so by the time that next great bull market comes around, you're going to you're you've been stopped out so many times you're you're traumatized from getting shaken out all the time that you're going to be a lot more gun shy to take advantage of that next great bull market so patience and uh, discipline is a great thing but that that being said you still want to get a little bit of uh Feedback in the market, add a little bit of positions when the market is turning because no one ever really knows when the market's actually going to turn and the next great bull market's actually going to start. And so you have to keep that open mind and be flexible that, hey, you know what? My position right now could be wrong and I might have to switch if the market tells me so.
0: Mm-hmm. you got it and again to to your point you know just wait for that fat pitch i mean that's certainly what uh stanton did yesterday at dodger stadium for the <laughs> all-star right. game Yay. right uh, <laughs> and, and that's where that's where he earned that mvp spot uh with with that home run so hopefully if uh if you're patient enough to wait for that fat pitch you can be getting some home runs yourself in the market so that'll do it for us this week thank you so much for joining us and we will be on next week with just Arusha and i this is where our editor usually comes on and starts singing uh songs about you know reunited or (laughs) just the two of us all sorts of things he can do um hopefully he'll join us for that and and maybe do a rendition of something but uh until then thanks for watching us this week and we'll see you next time take care Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast@investors.com. at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.